Hello everyone, welcome back to Birdcast, the only podcast recorded inside of Live Avery. And today we are back with episode 2 of the Golden Shoulder Parrot. If you have already listened to Silent Hearts Part 1, you may remember that we are talking with Steve Murphy from the Artemis Nature Fund and learning about the Golden Shoulder Parrot that breed and visit at the Artemis Cattle Station, which is located in far north Queensland, Australia. The second part of our chat explains exactly what the Artemis Nature Fund is doing on the Artemis Station and why this might work to save the wild golden shoulder parrot from extinction. Okay. In a nutshell, could you sort of explain the action plan for the Artemis Nature Fund and why those actions are sort of important for the project's success? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the... the the main thing that seems to have happened in Goldshot Parrot habitats over the last well, 100 years, I suppose, is that they are now much thicker than they once were. So, you know, the, the woodlands on Artemis used to be quite sparse, um, you know, so lots of gaps in between the trees. Um, and, and there are also these sort of little pockets of of purely open grassland, native grasslands dotted in amongst the sparse woodland. Now, thanks to a combination of uh, cattle grazing and altered fire regimes, um, all of those habitats are now much, much thicker than they once were. And in fact, there are very, very few open grasslands left on Artemis. Now, the problem is, is that um, this has allowed uh, predators to do better. So um, either there are more predators than there once were and or their hunting success has increased. So, and that's because so many of them are ambush predators. And so they do better when there is thick cover. And so for a open country or open grassland loving little parrot that feeds on the ground, it simply means they haven't got as much time to respond to a predator attack as they once did. And there are more predators. And as a footnote, some of our research on butcher birds that we're doing at the moment is showing that butcher birds, which are key parrot predator, are at extremely high densities, which sort of fits in with that theory of, you know, elevated predator density as well as elevated uh, increased predation success. And so the the sort of charter of the Artemis Nature Fund is to do whatever we can and do whatever is necessary to re-establish the open structure of these habitats. Now, um, in an ideal world or, you know, what used to happen, um, you know, before the introduction of cattle grazing is that fires um, used to... The ideal fire regime, if you like, to maintain these open habitats involves... um, relatively high-intensity burns lit in the storm season um, when there's rain around. And what, what happens there is that, you know, the, the higher-intensity fires uh, burn off, they raise back to the ground level the small tree, trees and shrubs up to a certain diameter. And because there's already been a little bit of rain around because of early storms, the grass is able to respond really, really quickly and basically shades out the... the um, the emerging or recovering little trees, and that's no longer happening. So, so and although um, hot fires are indeed part of the story, 
um, the thickening problem now is too advanced for us to only use fire as a management tool. Um, so most of the, um, the trees and shrubs that we're talking about uh, will never be killed by a hot fire. They won't be raised back to the ground, which they need to be. So consequently, we're having to get in and physically deal with um, you know, the, the, the overabundant trees and shrubs by various combinations of manual clearing and specialised herbicide use. So um, all the while, you know, we're, we're monitoring furiously. We're making sure that the, um, you know, the parrots are responding in the ways that they do. We're making sure that the predators respond in the ways that we hope they will. So, um, yeah, so this is sort of hand-in-glove sort of, um, you know, combination of very practical management actions uh, in parrot habitats um, combined with, you know, some fairly sophisticated uh, research and monitoring going on to make sure that we're on the right track. And does a, pod, a budget plan exist for the fund to complete their works? And sort of roughly what is it? Um, yeah, look, that's, that's been part of the, the discovery of this early phase, actually, is just to work out how much this is all going to cost um, because we really weren't sure. So we're at the stage now where we've had, uh, I think, three... Um, three periods of time up there, three trips with a vegetation management contractor um, and we're just looking at kind of what that costs and if there's any way we could um, improve on on that kind of um, that uh, model of doing things. So, but look, I, I think, you know, I think by, we've got a kind of a, a five-year um, plan um, and roughly costed out based on some recent data in terms of how much it's cost and how much area we've done and how much remains to be done, I think we're looking at about $600,000 to, um, to fix the problem on our teams. Okay. And sort of what permits were the fund required to obtain before they actually commenced any of the planned worked works? Yeah, that's actually a really important um, question um, and the simple answer is lots of permits. Um, so there was all the, the typical things that you need for doing um, what's termed in kind of invasive ecological research and monitoring on parrots and predators. So we've got um, uh, project approvals and permits to capture and colour mark parrots, which are, we're doing with uh, colour banding on their legs. Similarly for both species of butcher birds, we're also, um, we've got permits to uh, capture and release feral cats with radio Collars, uh, sorry, GPS collars on them, and in that case, we need a we actually need a permit from Biosecurity Queensland to be able to release uh, declared pests back into the environment. And the reason we're interested in, in cats is because we're we're so kind of uh, drastically, I guess, modifying some of these habitats um, and creating edges and all that sort of stuff. We want to make sure that we're not perversely encouraging cats into areas. So we're keeping an eye on that. We're currently uh, we up to nine cats now that we've, we've released with collars on just to, to track them. Uh, but the really big one that we needed um, in terms of permits was um, because we're effectively clearing native vegetation, albeit, and I must stress again, it's, it's native vegetation that's growing in an unnaturally high density. Um, nonetheless, we needed to be compliant under the Queensland Vegetation Management Act um, and it took probably nearly 18 months, two years, to work with the department up here to navigate our way through the Act. Um, 
to make sure that we were compliant. And so um, we ended up landing on a legislative instrument called a voluntary declaration, which um, is a sort of like a covenant added to the title, which defines and describes, you know, these really important areas on our teamers and what they should look like um, based on Queensland regional ecosystem mapping um, and then what our management um, plan is to restore and enhance the biodiversity values of those places. So by doing that, we were able to come together, both the department, us, Queensland Herbarium, we were able to come and come together and say, okay, these are the areas that we're interested in. This is what they should look like. This is what they look like now in terms of stem densities. Therefore, we were able to go in there and clear, you know, or thin um, stems down to a target density to restore what, you know, the system you know, should or would once did look like and, and is preferred by the parrots. And then in a recent fun video showing the works that have just commenced, there was a mention of a tea tree that had become quite overgrown. Could you sort of explain to the listeners sort of what this plant actually is? Yeah, tea trees, Melaleuca viridiflora mostly. There's, there's several several tea trees, but Melaleuca viridiflora, or the broadleaf tea tree, is the main one. Um, it's seen predominantly growing in low-lying areas, although it does get right into the, the uplands as well. So... Yeah, look, it's a it's a tree that um, you know has done well out of uh, these changed uh, fuel load conditions, which has uh, come about by grazing uh, pressures over the years and changed fire patterns. So, yeah, tea tree is the one of the main ones, uh, but there's a, there's a whole there's about twelve or more species which tend to increase uh, under this type of you know uh, altered management. Uh, grazing and fire management, which have become problems. Okay, and and would you say that the overgrowth of this particular plant is the biggest vegetation obstacle that needs to be overcome at um, Artemis? Would I say it is? Did you say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's our primary focus. Is um, if we, you know, tea trees and and these other increased species have 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 done that. They've increased. They're, they've They've changed the, the structure of the vegetation, which has impacted um, on the predators through elevated predation pressure. So, you know, rather than go out there and start shooting butcher birds and cats and kookaburras and goshawks and things, which are the key predators of parrots, we think it's a much more sustainable uh, and sensible thing to do is to actually modify the habitat so we reduce their population density and or their hunting success. So, yeah, so it's all about... Um, our, our, our work is really all about uh, habitat structure, vegetation structure, and restoring what should be there. Okay. And once all this um, vegetation is removed around the area of the termite mounds and sort of whatnot, um, through the cutting or poisoning, what are the planned burn types that will be implemented in the area? And sort of who in particular will be supervising these, um, these, t- these particular burns? Uh... Well, to answer your second party question first, Sue Shepherd will, Sue and Tom Shepherd will be supervising the burns with help from me, um, and that'll be all permitted permitted under um, Rural Fire Service. Um, and in terms of the timing, yes, we're looking at those storm burns. So again, that's the the fires that um, occur just after the first storms of the year. So after about an inch of rain has fallen, um, and 
uh, there's enough soil moisture for grasses to respond really, really quickly. And so the idea there is that, um, you know, being late in the year, there's, there's quite a lot of um, uh, fuel load built up, um, hopefully, uh, and therefore a higher intensity fire will hopefully, uh, you know, kill or, or, you know, burn off, you know, uh, trees and, and, and shrubs, saplings down to, you know, maybe two centimetres. Um, and um, and the soil moisture that's in the system because of those early storms will allow the grasses to uh, recover really, really quickly and shade out through through, through, through shade competition any of the um, re, uh, re-sprouting shrubs. So that's kind of what happens or what should happen in a sort of natural state. Now, um, like I said before, the system, the thickening, the problem has become so advanced that you know the, the hot, the fires can never be hot enough to burn off you know stems that are now you know ten centimeters in diameter. So we have to get in there and, and thin them. We have to, we actually have to clear them and cut them down. You know, we're leaving all that biomass on the ground to act as fuel for the next hot fire because we're wanting hot fires. So. Um, so yeah, so we're still, even though we're, we're going into areas and, and, and clearing the trees back, and leaving them on the ground, we're still aiming for these storm burns because we want that grass to respond as quickly as possible to shade out any seedling regrowth or, or regrowth that's um, occurring for, from the, the rootstock from the plants that might still be there. Okay, and and what do you think will be the biggest obstacles that the uh, the fund has to overcome? To reach their desired outcomes, money. Okay. Easy, easy. You know, we we are very confident that um, we've got a very, uh, you know, we've got a conceptual model of what's going on. You know, we 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 we're very confident in our understanding of what's wrong in the system, and that's based on you know some good science that was done 20 years ago, plus you know a lifetime of observation from people like Thomas or Shepard. So. And, you know, and we've got the photo evidence to prove that these places are so much thicker than they once were. What we've all been able to do in the, in you know the last eighteen months or so is bring together some really you know important expertise in terms of vegetation management. And one of the key guys that's helped us out is a good fellow by the name of Jeff Messer, and he lives in Brisbane, and he is a vegetation management expert. And we're able to get him. You know, we've been talking with Jeff for 18 months and we were able to get him up to our teamers in July so he could see firsthand what the, the challenge is that we're, that's ahead of us. And and thanks to Jeff and, and some really fantastic support from uh, FMC and Corteva AgriSciences, who are two um, agrochemical companies, um, we've come up with, um, you know, a, a suite of tools that we know are going to work. And you've only got to look at our... In our recent video to, to see demonstrations of these really practical things that we know are going to work. We know, um, you know, it's hard work, and you know, it's not going to happen overnight. But um, but we know it's going to work. We know that we can restore the vegetation structure. Um, our conceptual model says that you know tells us that that is going to reduce predation pressure, and the work we're doing on butcher birds is already supporting some of that conceptual model and we will continue to do that work as we restore the habitat. So what I'm trying to say is we know what to do. We, we really believe that we're on the right track. We, we, we're 100% sure that we can restore the, the structure. Um, 
we're 90% sure that it's going to benefit the parrots and what we really need is the, the funding to do so. Okay. And so if, what do you... Th- what do you wish you sort of had known before you sort of started this project overall? Um, oh, there's some sort of technical things around um, the permit process and navigating our way through the Vegetation Management Act that I wish we'd known sort of, you know, early on. Um, and, and, you know, in some ways, I guess the, the departmental staff, um, you know, there was a, it was a bit of a learning curve for them as well. So it's no one's fault, you know, but it, it, took, it took much longer than it ought to have because um, we tried a few different things to start with um, in terms of different permits and, and for one reason or other, you know, they didn't work. So, um, so yeah, the permit process would have been a lot shorter had we know what we do now, but that's that's fine. I mean, that means when, um, you know, all the people on Kalani, they're, they're, um, they're facing some similar issues in the north of, sorry, not Kalani, on Dixie, um, which is a station just to the south and west of Artemis. They've got a thickening problem as well and they're expressing some interest in, in replicating what we're doing on our team is so if they do that hey great now we know how to get the permits for them so so that's that's something that's um you know with hindsight could have been done a little bit better but um but look everything else is you know pretty pretty happy with progress i think um um yeah we're in a pretty good position it's it's been um you know a bit over two years since we started this and and yeah, I think we're well on the, the pathway um, to restoring the habitat structure in those critical places. Okay. And if someone's listening uh, currently to the podcast and is keen to sort of know more about the, the Golden Shoulder Parrot, sort of what um, resources would you recommend that they look at? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, the first place to go to would be to the Artemis, um, artemis.org.au. That's the uh, Artemis Nature Fund website. And there's some information there about the specific issues around parrots on Artemis and what we're doing about it. There's also some guest lectures, oh sorry, guest essays there from people like Stephen Garnett and other people who have had experience with them in the field. Um, There's also some government um, websites. So there's a thing called the the Federal Government SPRAT website, which has some information uh, about golden shoulder parrots. but yeah, I mean, they'd be the they'd be the main sorts of um, resources. Check out our videos on on the website. That, you know, that, that if they're wanting you know information about what we're doing, um, and they, people can always reach out, send me an email um, if you're really keen and you want more information, you want to chat. I'm happy to take phone calls and you know talk people through you know through what we're trying to do and and why. So particularly if they're interested in getting involved through donating. Okay. Sort of. Could you tell everyone how sort of how the average person could sort of contribute to the preservation of the golden shoulder parrot? Yeah, look, um, look one of the one of the positive thing or really good things about the fund is that um, it's a very very small entity with very low overheads. So uh, people who donate can be assured that um, you know their money will be spent in the field where it's most needed. It will be spent on buying a, a new carbide chainsaw chain. Um, or you know, new blade for the clearing saw, or you know some herbicide, or whatever. It's it's this this project is is utterly practical in its approach, which means that you know money that is that is donated um, is spent in the field. So and it doesn't matter. I mean we've had donations as, as little as a few dollars, you know twenty dollars, and it's all really really valuable because you know because we have such control over the you know we are the Artemis Nature Fund, the people doing the work. Are the, are the fun so we get to decide you know 
what's most important to buy. We, 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 are, we are extremely frugal and uh, about what we spend money on, um, and, and, and it's only spent on things that are going to lead to a highly practical outcome in the field. So the av- average everyday person, uh, irrespective of you know, their capacity for giving, um, is able to contribute just by even small amounts. Um, and look, if, if people aren't in a position to give or they want more time, you know, just just going to the website and and understanding the issues, understanding where we're coming from, uh, and understanding that what we're trying to do here is save these birds on our teams before it's too late. Um, you know, and, and telling their friends, spreading the word, that's something that's really important, you know, that the average person can do as well is just, just you know, that awareness and, and spreading the word. Well, thank you very much, Steve, for coming on the podcast and talking about the Golden Shoulder Parrot with us. I appreciate your time very much. No worries. Look, thank you very much for, for having me and giving me the chance to sort of explain what we're, we're on about. Okay. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode on the Golden Shoulder Parrot. Now, I would like you to share the information that you've learned today in this episode with other people. As this parrot is critically endangered, it is extremely important to get the word out about the Golden Shoulder Parrot. So if you can ever have an opportunity, please share the information you've learned today with people. I would also like to give you some information that we will be going on break for four weeks. Now I'm sure that some of you are sad, but during COVID lockdown, we kept going for the majority of the time not taking very many breaks. So we're going to give the team here a few weeks off. But also remember that we will be back afterwards. I'd also like to remind you that we have an Instagram, birdman underscore dad. And we also have a YouTube channel, birdman dad. Also, if you have any requests or want to talk about a particular topic, make sure to email at us at G-O-O-S-E-M-A-N ki8 at gmail.com that is g-o-o-s-e-m-a-n-k-i-8 at gmail.com remember you can always go back in birdcast's previous episodes to listen to us if you miss us during our hiatus i hope you guys in stay tuned and join us back in four weeks Chane.